Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. The end of Ruth, Ruth chapter number 2, in verse number 20, is uh, where we're going to pick up. Just a very brief synopsis. Don't want to cover the last couple weeks with too much time. But the book of Ruth begins with tragedy. It begins with a family in desperate need. They are fleeing their hometown because of a famine. And a famine at this time in history would have been devastating and deadly in many cases. And so they flee to the land of Moab. And this mother and father with two sons, they go there. And the text seems to suggest that as soon as they arrive in this new land with hopes of thriving, of hopes of surviving, uh, the father dies. And so the sons seem to step up into that position to care for their mother. They meet two ladies there in the land of Moab, and they are married. And the ladies' names are Orpah and Ruth, the namesake of the book. About 10 years goes by, and those two men, those two sons, die as well. And so you have just tragedy compounding upon tragedy here at the beginning of the book of Ruth, to finally, it seems like Naomi, the the mom and the widow there early in the book, kind of throws up her hands and says, I'm going home. For better or for worse, I hear there's, there's bread back in our hometown, so meaning grain is growing, the famine seems to have come to an end. I'm going back home. And ladies, I think you should not go with me because I I think I might be cursed or God might be upset at me. She seemed to suggest a few of those things. And so one of the daughter-in-laws does. One of the daughter-in-laws, after weeping together, just lamenting how life has just been so challenging for them, she goes back to her family. But Ruth stays with Naomi and returns to the town of Bethlehem. So in chapter 2, they have arrived home, and they need to eat. It's really that simple. And so Ruth, really serving her mother-in-law, takes that responsibility upon herself and says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to collect grain so that we can have bread, so that we can eat, so that we can live. And so she goes out into the field and she begins to collect. Now, there was structure in that society to care for the poor. The poor would be able to work uh, kind of in some ways to keep their sense of self-respect And it would be a challenge to them, but they would go out to the fields and there were certain portions of the fields that the farmers would not collect. They would leave that for the poor. So Ruth goes into the field and she begins to collect and she's an incredibly hard worker. Her character begins to shine through and the owner of the field, Boaz, takes a special attention and note of her, invites her to sit and eat lunch with him and his employees And she is just in awe of God's providence, of God's hand, and God's mercy, and all of those things. So she comes home, and she has all of this food, this extra grain that Boaz has given to her. And and I can imagine, you know, Naomi's expression, like, where did you go today? That is like a banner day of collecting grain. She says, this is the field uh, that I went into It was Boaz. Now look at verse number 20. Ruth chapter number 2 and verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So here's a prayer of blessing, and there are several of them throughout the book of Ruth. So if you want to read the book of Ruth with with a specific kind of search and find mentality, there are tons of prayers and blessing. And one commentator pointed out that every prayer of blessing is answered in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful kind of, kind of sub-theme throughout the book there. So Ruth says, it's Boaz, I worked in his field. Naomi, in just joy, says, may he be blessed by the Lord, and the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, the man, so Boaz, is a close relative of ours. And here's this phrase, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. Now jump over to chapter number three. A little bit of time goes by. Ruth seems to be working in the fields for a couple months through a couple different harvesting seasons. And there seems to be this beautiful love story that is taking place between Ruth and Boaz. Now, we cannot westernize it. This is the ancient Near East, so tradition and culture was a little bit different, but they began to fall in love. And so Naomi, playing a bit of a matchmaker, says to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, why don't you go do this to declare your intentions or your love or your desire to Boaz. And so she says to Ruth, why don't you uh, essentially take a bath and uh, anoint yourself with particular oil, wear your best clothing, which she's a widow, she's a poor widow, so it probably wasn't much, but go ahead and do this. Tonight, Boaz is going to be working in the threshing floor, and after he has had dinner, after he has had something to drink, Uh, not drunk, but after he's had something to drink and he lays down, you go there and you uncover his feet and you sit there at his feet. Now, every time I read that, I go, it's a little weird. I'm going to be honest with you. I read it this week again and I went, Lord, I don't understand this. I'm going to study this. And after I studied it, I'm going to tell you this, folks, I still don't understand it. I understood it less after studying it than I did before. But here's the tradition. So let's jump down to verse number nine. So Boaz is asleep after a long day of work, and at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Creeper, okay? (laughs) No, it's beautiful, I guess, in some traditional way, right? So he's startled, and he wakes up, and he sees uh, a woman at his feet, and he said, who are you? And she said, boo, no, uh, sorry, who are you? Sorry, I need to get focused here. We've got a long way to go. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, the instructions Naomi gave to Ruth did not include saying this. It was literally, uncover his feet, sit there, and he'll tell you what to do. We'll, we'll see what the Lord does in a sense. But she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, just a quick point here. There's some hints back to what Boaz said to Ruth on their first meeting. Jump back to chapter number two. I don't want to miss this uh, connection here. In chapter two, verse number 12. So they, they meet for the very first time Here's into the conversation, verse 12. The Lord repay you. So this is Boaz speaking to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So there's a beautiful kind of intimate trust, reliance, faith that's happening there between Ruth and the Lord. And now we're seeing kind of that same beautiful, intimate love language between Ruth and Boaz. So who are you? I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So they speak a little bit there. Jump down to verse number 12. Boaz says to her, now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. We'll explain that in a moment. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So we see here um, this concept of a redeemer and redeeming. Now the word redeem means to buy back. And in this particular culture that we're jumping into here, the role of and the action of redeemer and redeeming was very important. So I want you to hold your spot in Ruth and go to the left 
to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 25. We're going to start there. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five kind of actions, responsibilities, duties of a redeemer. So if you want to jot these down in your Bible or on a notepad or in your phone, you can do that. And we'll circle back to them at the end. Leviticus chapter number 25. In verse number 25. So take your time to get there. Leviticus can be an intimidating book. We're going to jump in there and jump right out, okay? Leviticus chapter number 25 and verse 25. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 25, 25. Scripture says, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So these are not in order of priority. We're just going to take them in the order that they appear in the scripture. One of the duties or responsibilities of a redeemer in this culture was if a brother or a close relative were to fall on hard times, whether that was a medical issue or disability or a famine or whatever it might be, and to survive, they had to sell family land. The redeemer would come and buy back that land so that land would stay within the family. He would redeem the property. He would redeem the land. Now, same chapter, Leviticus 25. Jump over to verse number 35. So here's another duty, responsibility of a redeemer. Verse 35, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear God that your brother may live beside you. There's a little more detail from there, but another potential responsibility of a redeemer was to take care of a needy or helpless family member. Now, not a needy in a derogatory sense like, you know, my brother or my sister, they're so needy. They're just always so needy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real needs to survive. No place to live, no food, no clothes. They are in desperate need. So they have need of help. So a redeemer would do that. Now, go forward in Leviticus to the same chapter, number 25, and verse number 47. So Leviticus 25, 47. Here's another role of a redeemer. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor, so his neighbor becomes rich, he becomes poor, and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan or family, Then, after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. So, responsibilities here. Family land gets sold, a redeemer is going to come in and take the responsibility of buying that back. A family member is in desperate need, can't help himself. The redeemer will come and help that family member who is in need. Or the, the family member has just fallen into so much difficulty, he has had to sell himself or his family members into slavery to survive. The redeemer will come and buy that family member back because we just we don't want our family, we don't want our brother or cousin or nephew, whatever it may be, and you see those different family relationships there. We don't want them lost in slavery, so we're going to buy them back. Now go forward uh, from Leviticus to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter number thirty-five. Another role and responsibility of a redeemer. Numbers 35 and verse number 19. Here the Redeemer is going to be called 
the avenger. So verse 19, the avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall be put to death. So a fourth responsibility of a redeemer was to avenge the death of a murdered relative. So pretty sobering, pretty serious responsibility here. And then one more to the right, to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter number 25. And here's the one that will have particular, here's one of the ones, excuse me, that will have a particular bearing on the book of Ruth. Deuteronomy 25, in verse number 5. So here's another responsibility, another potential duty of a relative to be a redeemer. Verse 5, if a brother dwells together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if a man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a, hus- of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. Now, I think there's no punctuation there, but the sandal off his foot, I think the beating happens between there with the sandal and then the spitting in the face, okay? That's just how I read the passage. The sandal will actually come into play in a minute as well. She shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who, has, who had his sandal pulled off. Okay? Again, so some interesting traditions here. Now let's go back to Ruth. Ruth chapter number 4. So we saw in chapter 2, we saw in chapter 3 that Boaz is called a redeemer. Ruth says, you are a redeemer. He says, yes, I am a redeemer. But he says, there is a relative who is closer in the family tree than me. There's one who has the right of refusal, if you will, as a redeemer before me. I'll meet with him tomorrow. And if he'll redeem you, good. But if he won't... I will redeem you. So chapter 4, let's pick up there. Verse number 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So this is really important. These these details aren't just thrown in there to fill space. The gate was a place of business, a formal business in the community. It was where the elders would be. It would kind of be, in our terminology, a courthouse. If there was a particular sale of a house or something like that, we would would file a deed. There, There would be a record of that. How that, would, that transaction would take place, it would take place at the gates and the elders would be witnesses of that. So Boaz is sitting there, he's waiting on the Redeemer to show up. He sees him, he says, hey buddy, sit down for a second. Hey guys, can you come over here? Elders, can you come over here? I just want you to witness this, this business transaction. I want you to witness what's about to happen here. Verse three. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, meaning if you'll buy it back, redeem it. 
But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. I'll, I'll buy that land. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, since I was a young kid, this passage of scripture, particularly this part, fascinated me. Because Boaz says to the man, if you want to buy the land, buy the land. If not, I'm the next in line for the land. And the guy says, I'll buy the land. And Boaz says, great. By the way, you get a wife as well. And a mother-in-law. Now, I don't know if the wife or the mother-in-law threw him off the idea of the deal, right? But he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, when you buy the land, part of redeeming that is you're also going to redeem Ruth. You're going to redeem uh, Naomi as well because they're both widowed. They're next in line, and you have to perpetuate uh, the name of Malon. You have to perpetuate the name of Ruth's first husband who died. That's part of the responsibility of redeeming. And it seems to me, not in a disrespectful way, but it seems that in this negotiation, that Boaz seems to talk down the deal rather than talk up the deal, right? If you're trying to sell something, you talk it up. You're like, this is the best car you've ever seen in your life. This car will run another 500,000 miles. There's not an ounce of, there's not a spot of rust on this car. If you're buying the car, you're like, do you see that dime-sized piece of rust right there? That brings it down to at least $20,000, right? You have to see this little negotiation tactic here. My wife is laughing because I don't negotiate anything she does, and it embarrasses me, and I run away. Um, so, sorry, I could see it in your brain. You were like, you never negotiate nothing. So I'm the guy at the, the, the garage sale. It's like, it's $5. I'll give you a 7 Okay, I don't want to insult your thing. That was your great-grandma's. Here you go. Here's $7. My wife is like, 25 cents. <laughs> and the lady will say, uh, it has 500 on it, and she'll like, a buck. And I'm like, I'm at the car going, oh my goodness, I'm sweating bullets. Maybe you have that in your marriage, maybe you don't. But it seems to me that's what Boaz is doing here a little bit. And so you want the land? Yeah, I want the land. I can't buy the land because um, when you buy the land, you get Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order, verse 5, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. He says, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So we saw the significance of a sandal late, you know, earlier on. For us, the significance would be what? A signature. Well, you don't really have that. And so this was the, the tradition of signifying what was happening there in the deal. So verse number eight, so when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So the elders are sitting there, verse nine, then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech, all that belonged to Kilion, all that belonged to Malon, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Now, she wasn't a slave. She wasn't for sale. He's kind of saying, I bought the land, and you need to understand that this is what is included in that, the responsibility of Naomi, the responsibility of Ruth, the responsibility to perpetuate Malon's generations. So I have bought to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. The deal is done. The sandal is passed over. I wonder how the walk home went without a the sandal. That was always interesting to me. But the deal is done. And what's happened is, is Boaz has redeemed Ruth he has redeemed Naomi. He has redeemed Malon, even though he is dead. This is what a redeemer would do. He bought back the land, and he has committed to perpetuate the generation of the man who has passed away. I want you to think about this. 
a story in Ruth that begins with not one, not two, but three funerals now culminates with a beautiful marriage. Verse number 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Now we can read that so fast and miss some of the important details and also miss some of the humanity that is in the story. We see Ruth, a young widow who has left her family, come to a country, come to a people she doesn't know to serve her mother-in-law. We see in the passage that she is in constant danger because she's a foreign widow. She's in danger of being assaulted. She's in danger of being abused. She's a widow. Her mother-in-law is a widow, so they have no legal standing. I mean, it's a precarious place for them to be in. And what does God in his kindness and his providence do? He redeems that. Boaz buys them back. So a story that began with tragedy, a terrible start, has a miraculous and beautiful ending. And we could just pause there and say, maybe that feels like your story. Or your family. Maybe things didn't start out bad. Maybe they started out hopeful and beautiful and they seem to take a really bad turn for the worse and here you are. Wondering how it's all going to work out and if it's all going to work out. Maybe it started with tragedy. And difficulty. And you wonder, can God buy back, can God redeem my family? Anytime you start to talk to people about their family tree and they're honest about it, there's some, there's some dark spots, some difficult conversations. I think about one generation removed from my wife and I. And I think about our grandparents. My dad's dad, who just passed away about a year or so ago, he was one of the youngest in his family, and his father was a coal miner in Helen, West Virginia, a little mining town. The story is that his dad was a coal miner by day and would preach at night. But in the background, there seemed to be uh, the demon of alcoholism just kind of right there. When my grandfather was just a young boy, his dad was killed in the coal mine. A piece of slate broke loose and fell, and he died in an ambulance on the way to the hospital in Beckley, West Virginia and left uh, a wife and a bunch of young kids. The house was owned by the mining company. The town was owned by the mining company. And there's no miner. You're out. And so my grandfather was shipped to live with his sister in Michigan. And for the next few decades of his life, he lived like the devil. And what was done to him is unspeakable. The men that came into his life were abusers, murderers, pedophiles, And that's what my grandfather learned masculinity from. And so he became a ruthless, violent alcoholic just as a young boy. When he was still a teenager, he met my grandmother. And when she was 15, she became pregnant with my dad. Both sides of their family were a disaster. It's a nightmare.
About 20 years later, 30 years, still about 25 years later, I'd be born. And by then, my grandfather would have had a radical conversion. When he was just in his early 30s, he was sitting at the intersection of Dixie Highway and Telegraph Road, right there at the edge of Waterford and Pontiac, by himself in the car and gave his life to Christ. Truthfully, my grandfather and I were never very close. But I have always had a deep abiding respect for how the Lord redeemed him. On my wife's side of the family, her mom's mom was born in December, right, of 1932, a month after her father was killed to the day. He was a police officer who was arresting some bootleggers and bank robbers in Columbiaville. And he was first in the door and he was uh, shot immediately and died. A month later, Jen's grandma was born. At the time, most people were part of some kind of church, but there was also a really interesting, we see it even now, less church stuff, but more of this. There was a, uh, a stream of spiritualism that began in the late 1840s and really was pervasive, the idea of speaking to the dead. And it's really the occult. And so... Jen's grandma was introduced into a family who was very much in the occult. She was born in such a way where they thought that she could be able to see things and see spirits and see the future and see all these different things. So in the shadow of grief, she was born into a family that was um, into demonism. until she was about 50 years old. That was her life. Of some deep, dark spiritual struggles. And not all mental illness is demonism, so please hear that. But some is. And so she was plagued with that for a long time until she walked into a little alliance church and met the Lord and God radically transformed her life and she went to heaven gosh two years before my grandpa and 20. I say that not so you'll look at me and Jen and our family and go, oh man, redeemed to perfection. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that if I were to turn this whole thing into a whiteboard, it wouldn't be big enough to, to write out all the brokenness in my extended family and in my life and in our family. But then you could start to see the stories of how the Lord buys broken families and broken people back. And some of you need to hear that today. You see, because Jesus 
redeems people. And Jesus redeems families. David says in Psalm 19, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All throughout the Old Testament, the people of God begin to celebrate one of the characteristics of God as being the redeemer. Now you can leave Ruth. Actually, hold your spot in Ruth. We'll come back there in a moment. Go to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter number three. This passage may be familiar to you, but I hope that you'll have a new appreciation for it and it will draw you to greater love and awe of the Lord. Romans chapter 3 in verse number 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. So justified being made right before God through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation or the payment of sin by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. This is the redemption that is in Christ. The redemption that is in Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.14, in whom, meaning the Lord, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I want you maybe to remember, maybe you jotted those duties of a redeemer down, but I want you to understand that when the Bible celebrates God as our redeemer and sending Christ on a mission of redemption, He came to buy us back. One of the duties of a redeemer is to take care of needy, a needy and helpless family member. What did Jesus do for us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were in desperate need and needed help, The scripture says that a family member or or a, a redeemer would buy a family member back who had been sold into slavery. And that is you and I because we were sold and slaves of sin. I want to show you this because it's just so thrilling to me. Leave Romans and go to the right and go to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number Three and four we'll look at. And you don't have to turn back there, but I want to jog your memory on Ruth chapter number four, that interaction at the gate with the ten elders sitting there and Boaz and the other potential redeemer. Multiple writers, preachers, commentaries point this out. It's so beautiful. A redeemer had to have three characteristics. Number one, they had to be related. Number two, they had to be willing to redeem. And number three, they had to be able to redeem. So Boaz was related. He was willing and he was able. But there was someone closer. There was someone in in line in front of him. That redeemer was related, that redeemer was able, but that redeemer was not willing because he said, listen, I can't do that. In verse number six of chapter four, he says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. That'll that'll cause problems for me. I can't do that. You go ahead and you redeem. We see those characteristics, those qualifications for being a redeemer to to perform one of those five duties or multiple of those redeeming duties. 
Galatians chapter number four. Verse number three. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law. So that we might receive adoption as sons. Look over at chapter 3 and verse number 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ bought us back. When we were slaves of sin, when we were lost in sin, when we were hopeless and helpless, Christ bought us back. He redeemed us from the condemnation of the law. What does that mean? The 600 plus laws that we see back in the Old Testament point to every single man and woman as a sinner. We take our life, we compare it against the law, and we are found guilty. And James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but breaks it in one point is guilty of all the law. What did Christ do? Christ came and he lived a perfect life to do what? To redeem us, to buy us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But he had to be related. Verse 4, chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So what do we have? We have God who sent his only begotten son. We have Jesus who being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant. He became a man and he was obedient to his father. Philippians 2 says to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus qualifies, he is related Go to the left to go to the Gospel of John real quick. John chapter number 10. He's related, so he's qualified that way to be a redeemer, to redeem, to buy back what has been lost, to avenge, Is he willing? John 10, 17. Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. The chaos of the cross, it may look like the Romans and the Jews are killing Jesus. They aren't. Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have full authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So what did Jesus do? Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus redeemed us and bought us back from the slave market of sin. He is related, and he is willing to be a redeemer. Go to the right and go to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 1. He's related. He's willing. Is he able? Verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18. Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed, that word ransom could be translated redeemed. Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. So it wasn't an exchange based upon silver or gold or some other precious commodity like that. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish 
or spot. Go to the left and go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 12. We'll start in verse 11 just for context, but I want you to see verse 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of creation. So he didn't go into the temple. He went into the real temple, the presence of God. The temple on earth was just a, was a, I don't want to say a copy, but we'll use the word copy. It was a copy of the real thing in heaven. It was a, it was a duplicate. Heaven is the temple. And so Jesus didn't go into a building. He went into the very throne room of God as the high priest. Verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves. So he didn't sacrifice a goat or a calf to get there, but by the means of his own blood. So as the high priest, he enters and the sacrifice is himself. Look at what the Bible says here. Thus, and we don't use that word very often, but it's beautiful here. Thus, because of Jesus' actions, because of his work on the cross, because of him going into the throne room of God, because of his perfect sacrifice, as Peter says, as the Lamb of God without blemish and spot, thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. Ephesians says it this way, in him we have redemption through his blood. So what does Jesus do? Jesus is related because he becomes a man, fully God and fully man. So he's qualified to be our redeemer and he's willing to be our redeemer and he, folks, is able. He's able. And in his work on the cross, he secures, not as grasping at, not hoping to accomplish, but the Bible says thus securing an eternal redemption. And so here we are as believers. If you have repented of your sins and followed Jesus, you have been bought back. You have been bought. And the Bible says you're not your own. You've been bought with a precious price. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ that has purchased your redemption from sin, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer an orphan. You're no longer a helpless widow. We're no longer victims of the murder of Satan in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came and he crushed the head of the serpent. He has avenged the murder. And we're no longer helpless. We're no longer unprotected. We are sons and daughters of the high king of heaven who's redeemed us. Who's bought us back? So we stand redeemed. And we look forward, Ephesians 4.30 says, to the day of redemption when we will see the Lord face to face. And we will worship him forever because we will realize even more what we have been saved from, what we have been redeemed from, and what we have been redeemed to. So can Jesus redeem you? Yes. Can Jesus redeem your family? Yes. He is not just a redeemer. He's the redeemer. I'm going to ask you across the room to just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just a moment, a very private, personal moment between you and the Lord. Maybe you're here and you have been wondering if the Lord can redeem your family. Ruth is a testament to that. But maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. You have never turned from your sin and turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Maybe you're watching online. The good news is that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son 
So God sent his son on a rescue mission to rescue sinners. Jesus went to the cross and he paid the penalty for sin and then he was buried in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And our response to the gospel is in Romans 10, 9. We must confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and then we are saved. To just simply acknowledge with our mind or with our head just to nod at the gospel like, oh, that's cool, that's a good story is, is not realistic, it's not salvation. The way we respond to the gospel is by turning from our sin and turning to Jesus as Lord and believing that he did die and he rose from the dead. Maybe you're here right now and you need to do that for the very first time. You need to be born again. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued from your sin. Jesus is willing to buy you back. He paid the penalty on the cross. He's the redeemer. All the burdens that you carry of sin, all the shame that you carry, maybe the feeling of helplessness, of hopelessness, of identity, all of those things that you struggle with. Jesus is the redeemer and he can redeem you. In a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song. And maybe the Lord has worked in your heart today or maybe in the last few weeks and you need to be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It simply is an outward demonstration of what's happening on the inside, what the Lord has done in, in your heart. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. If you need to be baptized, you can walk through right through those, you can walk right through those curtains to my left, your right. There'll be some folks back there waiting at shorts and t-shirts and towels. And you just need to publicly declare that the Lord has redeemed you. You're redeemed. Lord, thank you for today. I just pray, God, that you would work in some people's hearts. Lord, I pray you'd encourage believers with your redeeming power that we'd be drawn once again back to the work that you accomplished on the cross. Oh, Lord, we praise you for that. I pray for the man or the woman in here who does not know you. I pray that they would call out to you right now. They'd be saved. God, you would convict some folks who need to be bold and be baptized today. Lord, as we sing in a moment, I pray, Lord, that you would just be honored with our singing. We'd not be distracted, Lord, whether we're sitting in the front or whether we're sitting in the back, that our singing will be an act of worship to you because you are so good to us. And we declare that. In Jesus' name, amen.